Hello and welcome to Mad Hatter's Tea Party. This is Niwal Hattar and with me this time is the artist Timo Nasri. Hello. Hi. Nice to meet you. So, um, for the people who don't know, you're uh, an artist based in Germany and uh, a, a, a lot of your work is uh, shapes and sizes and is quite uh, geometrically accurate and uh, almost astronomically correct. Uh, and we'll get to, 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 the, to your current pieces. And you're right now at Art Dubai with, with your uh, calories for similar. And you're showing one of the latest pieces there. So let's talk about your current pieces in comparison to your older sharp sculptures. The two pieces I'm showing at the moment with uh, Svea Zemla are from my last um, solo exhibition um, at the gallery uh, in September. And they are actually the continuation of um, a work I started a couple of years ago when I did some research on a calligrapher um, who lived in the nine, uh, 900th century, uh, around 900 in Baghdad. He's called uh, Ibn Mukla. Most Arabic people who, um, who know a bit about calligraphy know about him because he was not only the inventor of uh, typographies that are still in use, but he was also a scientist, a mathematician, um, a politician on top. And um, the works I'm doing now um, on him, um, the whole show actually was mainly about him and his attempts to do certain reformations to the Arabic uh, writing um, in his last years, uh, around 930. Um, so there are two pieces on show. One actually um, is more about the history and the first major reformation that happened to the Arabic calligraphy about 150 years earlier, before he lived, um, by the famous uh, um, calligrapher called um, Al-Farahidi. Mm -hmm. And he was actually the one who brought the dot to the Arabic language. Before that, all the Arabic letters were just mess. So it was actually you have to you really had to learn to um, to 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 read the Quran or any kind of writing because it was so hard to tell one letter from the other. Still today it is kind of complicated. Um, I just recently heard an uh, I think an Egyptian um, writer saying the problem is that all in all other countries. Um, we're back from a little interruption. Sorry, Timo, about that. We had to move for the music and, uh, and the uh, wind. You were telling us about uh, space and everything in between and dots. And exactly, and, uh, and about the Arabic uh, language and uh, the Arabic writing, which uh, is, is so hard to do, and that this Egyptian writer recently said, um, the problem is that other cultures um, are reading to study, and we have to study to be able to read. And yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if that is true because I don't really <laughs> read and write um, Arabic, but um, I'm kind of fascinated. I mean, I'm, I come from an Iranian background, but I was born and raised in Germany and uh, never been able to spoke Farsi. And um, this hasn't changed, but this, I always feel like this kind of allows me to have an outside of view on a subject mm. that's still close to me, even though I don't understand it. So a lot of my works are kind of research things on 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 topics that were around me for quite a while which I'd never really understood and at certain points in my life I had to dig a bit 
to okay. to get to know what this is all about. I mean, you, you're saying that all your work goes into research. It'll be interesting to find how the research switches, because in the past uh, four or five years that I've been aware of, of your art and a fan of it, um, it when it does change and develop, it still has a, a kind of a distinct style, which is yours, or a sensibility that you maintain. Um, so if, 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 if you understand this new one about how the interaction happens with your older uh, inclined drawings or those, those larger uh, uh, sharp uh, statues uh, that you did uh, a few years ago, how, what, was, what was your study on those? I mean, I think what they have in common is that I'm always looking for systems, for mm -hmm. sy systems behind what you see. And, um, I mean, one thing that some people say why they recognize my works is, is always that it's a lot about the surface mm -hmm. or the quality of the, or the, preci the precision yes. of, of my works. It might be because I was trained as a photographer. Okay. Um, where it's all about surface and I always um, had the feeling that I need to know the techniques perfectly before I can use it as a language. And it's a bit the same when I, when I work with um, sculptures and drawings. Mm -hmm. I, I really first have to train hard to be satisfied, uh, satisfied with, um, with the outcome. I, I cannot just like throw something out. I, it, okay. I, always, I always need some kind of perfection. It kind of makes me happy. But in a way, you are being respectful to, to art in general by, by studying and kind of developing all of that. The, yeah, that is true. And maybe um, one reason that I switched, I mean, I, I, I look for um, sustainability mm -hmm. also. Um, and one reason probably that I switched from photography to sculptures and drawing was... Um, or You wanted more stress. I, I wanted first <laughs> even more stress. And on the other hand, I wanted that this thing kind of lasts and that what I do is a bit timeless. You know, when I started photography, um, I, I, was, I was a commercial photographer. Okay. That means I was doing works where I put all my heart in as well that were, for example, in a magazine for a week or a month. Um, maybe 10,000 people saw it, mm -hmm. but everybody was throwing it away afterwards. Yeah. That kind of made me unhappy because you do these things that just like that have no value over time somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe that led me to the point that I said, like, I, I want to do something that, that has more, yeah, uh, sustainability, that it's, that's, that's there for longer and that it can keep with me and uh, that, that one project comes on top of the other and not that every project mm -hmm. is a new one. Actually, that's, that's a lot to... To absorb from my end. Usually, I'm, <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sitting there and kind of <laughs> blurbing, and, but now I'm thinking, I need to think about how he thinks about art. <laughs> um, so, which is which is which is a lot of fun because <laughs> doing these podcasts, I talk to different artists and I get different ways of how they think. And because my art form, in a way, is social satire when I do my work, and, and this is me studying the artist. A lot of work is kind of my anti-art art. Kind of thing, <laughs> but what you said is so pure. I think. But then again, it could be skewed because I am a fan of your work. But uh, kind of the studies and the research that you're doing to, to, to develop this understanding of infinity, uh, in a way, 
and and wanting to live forever through your through your art is you know is 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 important i guess and at least you're one of the honest ones who who kind of said it and thought about it yeah it's a bit horrible to say that i know it's i, I <laughs> no it's not it's, it's completely fair and and it's right and people should respect themselves respect the art form that they're doing in developing you're getting a lot we get a lot of younger artists now that just want to just kind of do it for the splash kind of the the quick fame aspect of it but not put in in, in the structure and work and, and that's bad because a lot of the people viewing this art think it's it's okay sometimes to be allowed I understand a lot of people work really hard to make something look simple but some mm. people also just kind of think oh if, if Pollock's spread a few paints here and there I can do it then no there was a lot of study behind this and development of it all uh, anyway going back to, to you now <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> the um, so are you researching something now or are you still going deeper and deeper into the well of uh, calligraphy? Actually, I have to finish this calligraphy project um, that I'm on because um, what I was about to tell is that story of this calligrapher, um, this Ibn Mukla, um, who lived um, 1,200 years ago. Um, this great, um, he, he wanted to do a reformation on the Arabic writing because he said um, the Arabic uh, writing is missing letters. So there in the alphabet, there are letters missing, which are actually still today kind of missing, like the O and the P. Mm -hmm. You can write something that then would sound like the O, but the O as a letter is not existing. Mm -hmm. or And the P is not existing uh, as well. Um, like you would see when you go to Saudi Arabia, buy a bottle of Pepsi. There's not Pepsi written on it. Mm -hmm. There's written Pepsi because they replaced the, yeah. the P with a B. Um, and he, way back when, uh, decided that, that it needs these four letters to complete the alphabet, uh, which led to some trouble with the religious people, as one can think. Um, the whole story ended very badly. They first cut off his arm, his Ooh. calligraphy arm, oh, actually, hand, and um, he continued writing, and he didn't tell them where he had all his notes for the missing letters. Um, he wanted to open a school. They finally cut out his tongue, um, kept him imprisoned. He died. When, when is this? When was That's this? Uh, 800 and, uh, 930. Okay. Um, so, yeah, like 1,100, 1,200 mm. years ago. And um, so but these missing letters that he was trying to, to invent uh, were never found. So I did a research actually on what could that be? What, why, how, what would they look like, the missing letters? And how would he come up with the right, with the right form for them? And uh, my idea was actually very simple uh, because he was a, I mean, he was a religious person. Mm -hmm. he, he believed in God. He looked up at the sky and thought that there's more around, and more above. So my idea was that he looked up at the sky and thought, must have thought, God will tell them to me. And he looked at the stars mm -hmm. and he saw in the constellation of mm -hmm. stars the missing letters. So okay. for that reason, I found this, this software, this program, where I can recapture what the night sky above Baghdad in the year 935 in March <laughs> exactly looked like. That's research. Like, yeah. exactly looked like. And then I was going through the stars, through the constellations, and was trying to find what could have been a constellation that would mm -hmm. lead to a letter. So there was a lot of, like, fail and error <laughs> and trying. And I found so far two letters that could work like letters um, that I then just with some training um, 
was able to 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 write, and I did um, two sculptures of these letters. So I don't know which letters they are. I don't okay. know what they would sound like. I don't even know if they were letters. But st and from the when beginning. when are we able to see these pieces? One is already on show downstairs okay. at the at the at the fair. At the two of them were on show in um, in my show in in Hamburg, okay. and the other ones will be hopefully depends on but I hope to try I, I'll hope to find them this year so that all the four missing letters will be complete by the end of the year okay uh, and a kind of a side question based on this yeah. have you done any actual calligraphy work yourself do you know how to draw these letters out have you studied the design aspect I I practiced I didn't really I mean I kind of studied by myself but I'm I'm not I'm not really able to do calligraphy even though I used to quite a bit because and that's when now even even though I, I see how you're studying I'm going to be a little bit critical of this and if it's yeah, yeah. you because uh, um, a lot of people that I know even myself I took we had to take calligraphy classes to understand kind of the, the math behind it the the, uh, the the way you design a shape a letter and why a letter is a letter mm -hmm. so there's a lot of kind of uh, study to go into that one but now you're you're going to this st looking for letters without having the knowledge of why a letter is shaped existing. So although you are putting a lot of research in, in, the, in the romantic history of it, if you want, is it fair that you wouldn't put a little bit more into the technical aspect of it? Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I did. And actually, um, what you studied um, is about the proportion of letters. Mm -hmm. I studied a lot on that because this whole system of proportions was actually invented by that guy I just told you about. Okay. So he was the one who said, like, the perfect Aleph has to be five or seven dots high. You could place every single letter in a circle and then go by different um, um, parameters for, for the length. Okay, and the so, width. so you do know, so you just don't do. actually do the pen work yourself. Of I, I mean, I, I, I do the pen work, but okay. I don't know what I'm writing. Then, then why did you say you, you didn't? You obviously know. <laughs> <laughs> you made me just be mean to you for no reason. That's, no, that's all fine. I mean, <laughs> it suits you <laughs> being a bit mean. No, no, no. I mean, because now it's as, I mean, I didn't, I didn't say, uh, saw, um, said it that clear. Um, yeah. And it's an obvious question. And it's a question, actually, I'm asking myself pretty often uh, when it comes to the point, like, why don't you speak Farsi? You're Iranian. Why don't you, why can't you read and write? And usually my answer is, and I thought about it long, it's mm. not just the quick, quickest and easiest answer, it's like, if I would know all about that from childhood on, if I could speak Farsi, if I could read and write the Arabic or the, the Farsi letters, um, I wouldn't ask those questions. Yes, fair enough. So It'd be so common. Yeah. So I prefer to stay a bit dumb. <laughs> no, no, I'm dead. But it's um, yeah, as I as I did uh, with other. So, for example, I, I did a few works um, a couple of years ago. Um, they were more about the the military, and were those um, the net looking ones. No, there the was a the metal. Uh, no, there was one was a uh, um, uh, two were helicopters. Okay. Like real helicopters, I mean, the original shape of um, American aircraft helicopters, but uh, a bit smaller, only like two meters uh, long. And the others were calligraphies, um, uh, Farsi calligraphies. And um, what I was asking myself at that point, so that was um, 
a bit after the second uh, the second Gulf War started, and uh, there were all these documentaries on uh, the military aircraft and everything, and I was I was questioning that within myself, and at one point I stumbled upon upon the military helicopters, mm-hmm. and I remember that I sat there and said, like, "Isn't it funny? Uh, what are they named after? They are named Chinook, Apache, Comanche, yeah. Black Hawk." These are all names of Indian tribes. Mm-hmm. Why does the American military use the names of the tribes? They almost kind of extinguished. I mean, <laughs> there are not many Indians left, sure. right? And and now they are using that as names for the for their for their um, aircrafts. That's a bit weird. Mm-hmm. The answer is pretty easy, right? I mean, the answer is because they were trying to put certain attributes to their machines. Okay. So, like hunting spirit, um, stuff like that, which, which everybody would relate to, to Indian tribe names. And so I did these works of this, with these two helicopters, a, a Comanche and the Apache, trying to bring these things together. Um, at the end, they were these machines that were completely cov- um, covered in real bird feathers, with the feather as a symbol for the Indian, as um, a way to to talk to the spirits. Mm-hmm. A long story short. Anyway, um, but the same thing then, I, th- I kind of feel bad about like being mean always to the Americans. It's so easy. Everybody does it. Um, <laughs> so um, I did some more research and at that point um, and there was this threat of the Iranians that they have a new missile that could um, go all the way at least um, till Vienna and hit something in Vienna, so the long-distance missile, and that was called Shahab, yeah, falling star, shooting star. So I did a bit, few, a bit, a bit of research, not much, on on the Iranian missiles. That was easy to find out, and they all come with names like Shahab, Nur, Simorg, uh, um, Shafak. So all names that actually more um, try to to pretend it's something more heaven sent, something beyond what humans do invent and mm-hmm. so so another way to communicate actually yeah. about military aircrafts. And this is actually when I started to work with calligraphy because I then did these names of the Iranian rockets okay. as calligraphies on okay. the wall, three dimensional calligraphies on the wall. Well I have to have admit you're the the most undercover nerd I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, <laughs> you, you put so much effort into something uh, that ends up uh, looking pretty, but also there's an understanding to it. So for the people listening to us, if, you, if you've never seen um, Timur Nasri's work before, you can, uh, you can go online to Sfersamler that have uh, some images or use the Google and the Internet. You'll find it on my website as well, timonasseri.com, T-I-M-O-N-A-S-S-E-R-I.com. Oh, wow, that was hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, or wherever you would Google yeah. it. I'll, I'll, I'll write down the, the name of, the, uh, of, of your site on, onto the podcast and they can find out. Perfect. So thank you again for taking your time. Thanks for having me so much. And I'm glad I did this, and uh, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>